Welcome to sermons from First Alliance Church, equipping you to become a fully devoted and faithfully engaged disciple of Jesus. Here's today's message. Please have a Bible out with you. We are going to be continuing our series in the book of Acts as we've been watching the crucified, risen, and now ascended Lord doing his work through his outpoured spirit and in his disciples. It's been super exciting up to this point, and it's going to continue to be so. So open your, uh, your Bible to chapter 2 in the book of Acts. We're going to be reading verses 42 to 47. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. And let's give ear, because this is God's word. It says this, they devoted themselves, they being Jesus' followers. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. And many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Will you pray with me? Living God, we ask for the grace that you would send your Holy Spirit on us. Come Holy Spirit. Enable us to understand and to receive these words that you inspired Luke to write down for us. Would you show us what your will is for us as your people and as your church? And would you change us in this encounter with you? We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. I want you to consider this question. What is the potential of the church? When the church is at its best, what becomes possible? Now, It's not lost on me that the church isn't always at its best. I mean, recently we've been painfully and horrifically reminded of the church at its worst. Such a horrific institution as the residential school system in which many churches and many denominations took part. But I I want us to consider the question, what about the church at its best? What could the church look like? And when we say church, we don't mean a building, we mean the people of God. What could the people of God look like when it's being faithful to Jesus? When it's not been co-opted by the culture and the values of the world, but is basing its entire life on Jesus and his gospel and is fully seeking the kingdom. What is its potential? In one way, that's what this passage is sketching out for us. In these six verses, Luke gives this summary of what the early life of the church looked like, what the first church looked like. Don't be fooled. First Alliance Church is not the first church. That was the first church. And it's this incredible picture. It's compelling, isn't it? 
And really what we see, the dominant theme here of what made this picture so compelling is yes, there was a sense of God at work. God had just filled his people with his spirit. Peter has just delivered his first sermon to tell everyone in Jerusalem who's wondering what's going on, what's going on. And the verdict is Jesus is Lord. He died and rose again and he's ascended and he has sent his spirit on his church. In other words, the church is the new temple and God's temple presence is now residing in his people. And here's what happens. Here's what makes the church so compelling from their end. Look at verse 42 with me. Verse 42 says, they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. This is the heart of what was going on in the first church. They devoted themselves. And to devote something means to give it. It means to offer something or offer it to something or someone. And it's clear, they they gave themselves. And the verb there is actually in the present tense, which means they didn't just give themselves one time, but they continued to give themselves. To what? A few things are mentioned. It says they devoted themselves. They gave themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, breaking of bread, and to the prayers. Now, the apostles' teaching was simply the teaching of Jesus that the apostles had heard, right? The apostles were those who had lived with Jesus, watched him, sat under his teaching, and now they were sharing it with everyone else. And notice the passion for learning that they had, the hunger to know more about this Jesus and to follow in his way. They also gave themselves to fellowship. Now, that's a very churchy word, the word fellowship. Sometimes we don't often hear that word used today, but fellowship simply means sharing with someone in something. It means sharing with someone in something. And so applied to the church, it means they, they were sharing life together. They were sharing what God was doing in their lives. They were sharing their awe and their praise and their worship and their prayers. They were journeying together towards Jesus. It also says they gave themselves to the breaking of bread. Now, this means that the church was regularly in the habit of eating together. What a great thing to do. Everybody loves food. But also it means that they would celebrate what we now have as the Lord's Supper in their gatherings. And then lastly, it says they gave themselves to prayer, to to worshiping and and listening to God and, and to speaking to God often and regularly together. These are the things it says they gave themselves to, but I want us to see that as they gave themselves to these things, they were actually giving themselves to someone. That these practices weren't the goal in themselves, but that they were done for the sake of giving themselves to God. That's what this all points to. A church that is giving itself to God thoroughly. That's what Luke is showing us here. That when the church is at its best, it's at its best because its members personally and together corporately are giving themselves to God. But that's not all. Our texts also brings to light the fact that they gave themselves to each other. 
They gave themselves to each other. I mean, it's so hard to miss that piece of the puzzle in this picture. Uh, Of all the practices that they did, they were done together, but also fellowship and breaking of bread. These are really focused on cultivating and strengthening togetherness and community. The first church was not a hermitage. It was not a solo mission. It was not a privatized, individualized religion. They were in it together. And that's how it has always been with God's people. Yes, of course, faith is personal. It is about a personal relationship with Jesus, but it is never private. And this is a hard truth in our hyper-individualized society. They gave themselves to each other. Did you see, did you notice how they they pooled their resources together? They sold possessions, they sold land, and they gave to the needy. They were constantly meeting together in public and in their homes, sharing food and praise and joy. And and I want, want you to pause and think about that. What did that mean socially for them in that time? So in the church, you would have some really wealthy members, some well-off members, but a lot of poor members. I mean, it's well-documented throughout history that the church spread like wildfire and Christianity spread like wildfire, especially among the poor, among the outcasts and on the margins. And so you had a situation where people of all kinds of, of wealth brackets were together giving themselves to God and one another. And you had people selling their land. You had people giving what they had earned to people who hadn't earned it. You had people radically, generously selling their land, giving resources to the mission of the church and to helping those in need. I mean, they were giving themselves to God and to each other but not just in a comfortable way, but in a radically generous way. And the question you might be asking as maybe we feel a bit uncomfortable when we're met with this picture is why? Why would they do that? Why on earth would you live this way? Because this isn't how society works. This isn't the way we were raised to deal with wealth and to view ourselves uh, within the social fabric of our society. I mean, society really functions as this system of powers trying to increase their own power. I mean, Roman society was extremely cutthroat. It was extremely cutthroat. And you only wanted to deal with people who could get you a leg up who could advance your station, who could open doors from you. I mean, common sense then and today really says that you should take up with people who can promote your upward mobility, right? Like the whole point of life, it seems, is to move up, to upsell, to upgrade, to upscale your life and your position. But the picture we're getting of the first church is that it had this strange habit of moving downward. They shared resources downward. They related downward across divisions and class and station. They looked uh, out for widows and orphans, people who in that day and in that culture were seen as nobodies, cast-offs. 
they gave themselves to upgrade the less fortunate among them. They, they shared their homes. They sat at table together, which at that, in that day really had significant meaning. I mean, in that culture, you only had dinner or lunch with people who were of the same class because when you ate with people, it was a way of identifying with them. It was a way of saying we're, we're on the same level. And yet the church had this radically different way. So again, why did they do it? Why did they do it? And the only answer, the answer that comes to us from the Bible is, is because they had, an, it had encountered a more true and compelling reality than the reality of the world. The apostles' teaching, what they were dedicating themselves to was announcing that ultimate reality was this, that God is taking the world back from sin and evil and he's done it by giving. God has done it by giving his only son, giving him himself to us. And in doing that, he came all the way down. He became human. He became a servant. He became a sacrifice and he went to the cross. In first Corinth, uh, 2 Corinthians 8, 9, it says this, it talks about the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and it says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Jesus took the ultimate downgrade to give us the ultimate upgrade. And the first church knew this with every fiber of its being. That's why, that's why they would live like this. That's why they would give themselves to God and to one another because God had first given himself to them in Jesus. They had encountered the God of the universe who moved downward and gave himself to them without reservation. Jesus didn't moderately give himself to them. He didn't kind of give himself to them. He gave himself to us unreservedly unreservedly and fully and permanently. He gave his life for our life so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be brought in on God's family. And even more, as we've been discovering this glorious and holy truth that God would make his home in us, that his spirit would indwell us, that the flame of his presence would burn in us. We can give ourselves to God because God first gave himself to us. We can give ourselves to each other because God first gave himself to us. There is an entirely new economy for this church that is filled by the spirit. It's the economy of grace. It's the economy of love. It's an economy of self-giving into the world. It makes no sense. But when you know Jesus, when you see Jesus, and when you've received his spirit, it's the only thing that makes sense. Why wouldn't we give ourselves entirely to God and his mission? Why wouldn't we give us ourselves entirely to his kingdom when he has shown us such grace. That's the grace of the Lord Jesus. It's why the first church lived the way it did. And it's why we can too. It's not a coincidence that 
the early church celebrated the Lord's Supper so often. I mean, they broke bread together. It's well documented that the early church had a regular, indeed weekly practice of sitting at the Lord's table together. Think of how that would shape you, how that shapes us. I mean, the Lord's Supper is the central practice of the church that speaks to the power of the cross that speaks to the God who gave and gave and gave and gave himself for us. In Luke chapter 22, verses 19 and 20, we're reminded of Jesus's words. He says, this is my body, as he's holding the bread, given for you. This is my body given for you. And this is my blood, which is poured out for you. And Paul reminds us that when we celebrate this meal together, we're celebrating the self-giving of God and this has the power of proclamation. He says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim. This is a declarative act. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Friends, at the Lord's Supper, we receive sacramentally the gift of God himself. Jesus, the lamb who was slain and the gospel is proclaimed first to us. We take the gospel into us because we desperately need to know the grace and love and giving of God in the deepest places of our being. I mean, let's face it. There are parts of us that are deeply broken, deeply hurt, by the world, maybe even hurt by the church. Maybe we've been hardened towards God and others. Maybe we've grown apathetic and and into those places, God wants to bring the good news that he gave himself for you. That he gave himself for you before you had done anything to earn it, before you had even made the slightest move to make it right. He died for you, for me. And there is such power in this self-giving love of God that we see embodied in the Lord's Supper. I mean, it's God's self-giving love that renews and transforms our lives. It's powerful. I'm gonna bring back to us a a quote from Tom Smale, a, a charismatic Anglican theologian, which I think is just such a beautiful mix. And uh, he says this in his book on the Holy Spirit called The Giving Gift. He says, all authentically divine power is released through self-giving. What the cross demonstrates forever is that with God, power is self-giving and self-giving is power. As Christ offered himself as an atoning sacrifice for the sins of the world in a way that neither can nor needs to be repeated. So we, the church, offer ourselves in and through him so that the benefits of his saving work may be applied to others. Isn't that just beautiful? That's what was going on in the first church. They were captivated by the good news that God had actually given himself to them without reserve in Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ was now Lord and they couldn't stop learning about it. They couldn't stop celebrating it, announcing it, praising God for it and sharing it with others. Because when you see 
the almighty God give himself for you. You give yourself to him. You entrust him with everything. It's, it's the only response that fits. And friends, look at the results. In verse 43, it starts by saying there was awe. Everyone was filled with awe. Holy moly, God is at work in our midst. He's here. He's actually real. And he's powerful and he is at work. They were in awe at the miracles that God was doing in their midst. There was this palpable sense that God is on the move. It, it kind of looked like a Pentecostal church. Verses 44 and 45, radical generosity. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. It sounds like a socially conscious and compassionate church. Maybe like the Mennonites. It's not that everyone uh, shared everything in common and people got their wages from a central committee. No, that's not what was going on here. This was voluntary and radical genero gen radically generous sharing of possessions as needs arose. It, it, an open-handedness that the gospel enables in our lives because we know that we have the one whose resources are limitless and endless so that when God moves in us to respond to a need, and, and our first temptation is always to calculate and think, what will I have left for myself? When the gospel really gets hold of us, we realize that we have access to his provision, that he's looking out for us, and that we can interact with an open-handedness to the needs that arise. Radical generosity. There was also persistent gathering. Verse 46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple court. So a big group gathering, kind of like our Sunday morning church. And then they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Small gatherings, sort of like our small groups. <laughs> Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Big group, small group, gathering, both essential for the church and just doing life together. They kind of looked like a monastic church with an intentional community rhythm of, of gathering and prayer and worship and eating together. The first church did life together. Now, obviously, in COVID, we've been restricted. And, and so many of us are sick of these restrictions. But let's do what we can in the meantime. And if... Maybe there is one silver lining that COVID has given us. Perhaps it's stirred in us the hunger once again to gather together. To gather together. We look forward to that time when we can. And the last result that we see is multiplication. Verse 47. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So after Peter preached his first sermon, 3,000 people were added to their number and then they kept sharing the good news, evangelism. Sharing the good news, that's what evangelism means. Sharing the good news was happening and people were coming to know Jesus as their savior. And Lord, it sounds a lot like an evangelical church. The power to share the gospel came both from their words and from their life, we talked about already the, the, the need for an embodied evangelism and that's what the first church did. 
They knew the saving work of God with every fiber of their being and they wanted it to be applied to others as well. So they went out in the way of the cross to give, to give themselves. Friends, the truth is that a vibrant, spirit-filled church, the church at its best, will be engaging with all of those areas. There'll be awe and worship and gathering. There will, there will be generosity and social action and there will be a sharing of the good news with others. When we live in the awareness of how God has given himself to us without reservation in Jesus, that he has also filled us with his spirit and indwells us with his spirit. In response to that good news, we give ourselves back to him and to one another in love. The church is at its best when it knows with every fiber of its being that God has given himself to us. And we can give ourselves to God and to others because he has done so. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, come. Would you come and impress on us this good news? Would you transform us? Would you speak the words that we need to hear in our hearts as we come to the Lord's table, as we respond to you with word, uh, to your word at the table and with worship? Continue to speak and glorify and show yourself to us, Jesus. We pray in your mighty name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more on us as a church and ways to connect, please visit us online at firstalliancechurch.org.